And if they're like, yeah, sounds great. Now, now you just cut past all of the, yeah, well, I've been calling them and leaving voice and sending them emails. We've sent them 50 follow-up emails over the last three months, but I think they've kind of ghosted me. They've kind of gone cold. And so it's a, it's a, it's a defining the relationship type of question. Things just got a little bit more serious. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, uh, the episode is called The Art of the Slow Sale, and we've got Brandon Bruce, um, who is the co-founder and COO of Serious Insight with us. Uh, Serious Insight is the, uh, the highest rated sales platform that connects Gmail and Outlook with Salesforce. Brandon has grown Cirrus as a lightly funded distributed company with scrappy tactics in the same industry as billion dollar software companies and competitors with tens of millions in funding. Today, Cirrus is in the middle of their biggest challenge yet, which we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, pivoting for the first time in seven years after losing their primary marketing channel as the number one app on the Salesforce App Exchange. Brandon, welcome to Outside Sales Talk. Thanks, Steve. Good to finally meet you. Yeah, um, really excited about today's show. You've, uh, you know, you talk a lot, and you've you've written a a book about the slow sale. Could you explain uh, the art of the slow sale for our listeners? Yeah, this was kind of something that struck me about a year in to starting Cirrus Insight, and uh, I was the only salesperson. And my co-founder, Ryan, was the developer of the app. And, and for background, we connect Gmail and Outlook with Salesforce. So I'm talking with a lot of companies and, you know, six months to nine months to a year in, we start talking with some larger enterprise companies. So it's really exciting. Sales could be bigger. Sales cycle is going to take a little bit longer. Um, and then I was going to take my first like three-day weekend away from the business. Uh, totally freaked me out uh, because I'd been very used to a really fast cadence of follow-up, right? So every day I'm talking with a customer on the phone, emailing, checking in, and then I was gonna check out for three days. And so I had these contracts sitting out there that I thought, well, we're pretty close on these deals. I think we've come to terms. And I was worried that I would lose all three of these pending deals because I was taken off for the weekend. And then maybe the whole company was gonna implode and bad things were gonna happen. Um, so, you know, totally nervous and distracted during the whole three-day weekend, uh, but, the silver lining on that cloud was that when I came back, all three of those deals came our way. And it was like, yeah, yeah, I hope you had a great weekend. We're, we're ready to go. And um, so it caused me to pause for a second because I thought, well, I didn't even follow up. So maybe these aren't as attributable to me as I thought. You lose a little bit of that personal agency. Like I cause all sales to happen by force of personality. Um, and instead stepped back and thought, thought a little bit more about how how I buy things. I don't necessarily go jump in and like, cool, I'm ready to buy right now, like an auction or something. I usually have kind of made a decision like I'm leaning toward doing something and then I sit in the tank for a while and think about it. I'm not ready to part with my money quite yet. I'll just, I'll just wait and maybe next week, maybe in a couple of weeks, I gotta talk with Ryan first and see if we really wanna buy this and then buy. So around that time, we started to get a little more serious about sales and we started looking at analytics in our Salesforce platform and saying, you know, from the time that we first engage with a customer, what does a sales cycle look like? 
And what we found was there's flurry of communication early when we set them up on a trial, regular communication through the trial, flurry of communication right at the end, right? Final questions, how does this work? We want to configure it this way, et cetera. And then there was a complete drop off of communication. It was dead quiet uh, for 10 days. And, and, and that's what I kind of then called when, when we built our sales team. I was like, hey, we all got to get comfortable with this quiet period. It's going to totally freak you out. So you're going to feel like you're not working. You haven't done your job and you failed to close, which is a salesperson's worst nightmare. But it turned out it was that magic 10-day period and then the deal would close. And we get the signature back, paper would come back. Um, and so we started to get more and more comfortable with this idea that we, we want to move fast. We want to be responsive to customers. We don't want to like, hey, sorry, we're doing the slow sale. I'm not going to call you back for two weeks. We want to be Johnny on the spot in communication, but we also don't want to you know, force a deal through uh, you know, the classic uh, hyperactive or pushy kind of salesperson type that, you know, I, I'm not a patient person. So I was like, well, if you want to buy it, let's just do it now. Well, why wait? Um, turns out people do want to wait and take their time and really think through their purchases a lot. So we give them that, that 10 day period. And that's when our deals would close. That said, if they don't close right after 10 days, then it's time to get busy again. Uh, Cause it could mean that you're actually losing the deal. Um, but that's where this concept came from of the slow sale in a, in a fast paced world where you're sending hundreds of emails and making outbound calls and following up on social and connecting with people and shaking hands at conferences and everything seems to be going light speed. Uh, most of the really big successful long-term relationship sales that we've made, uh, haven't gone that fast. They've gone fast enough. Um, but there's been gaps and times where it goes into this quiet, slow period. And that's been really important. So, Talk a little bit about why is the slow sale an important strategy for sales reps to use? I think one of the things that, that I found for myself, and I think that our team here has too, is that by, by slowing down a little bit, you get more intentional about the steps that you're taking. And so yeah, I found on, on the software side, software changes so fast, and we're in the software sales business where um, it's tempting to just, let's go try this. Let's go send a ton of emails. Like, did that work? I don't know. Well, it sort of worked. Okay, cool. Well, maybe we'll do that again someday. Now let's go change. Now let's make a bunch of phone calls. Now let's get out on the road and visit a lot of customers. Let's do conferences instead. Next year we'll do conferences. And it seems really schizophrenic. You're constantly trying stuff, but you don't stick around long enough to see did it actually work. Um, should we really reinvest in this? Is, is going to conferences or visiting customers something you don't do just once? You do it over time in a very intentional, concerted way, you know, once a quarter for two years, and then you reap the benefit of all your work instead of flitting between these various kind of marketing sales strategies all the time. So thinking about the sale as something that doesn't happen immediately is a way to slow down your own mind and process and think about, okay, what am I doing when I first engage with the customer? Let's really pay attention just to that for a while. And then what am I doing in the middle when they're testing the app? Uh, so a lot of it was, it was an exercise in self-consciousness. So we spent quite a bit of time like, Hey, let's go try this software that we're thinking about buying. And instead of just going through it naturally, like when all of us buy things as individuals and as companies, we would just document everything we were doing and thinking. So I'd be like, well, I went to go start a trial, but decided so-and-so on the team would be better suited. I recommended it to them. That took three days. Uh, it took them a week to decide they wanted to take my recommendation and actually try it. You know, so it's like now we're 10 days into this thing. And it's like a total false start. 
uh, or it would look like a false start if you were the company selling to us. But it turns out we were just going through a normal process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would just write down each of those steps and then think about, okay, when we go to sell, is our buyer going to act pretty similar uh, to how we acted? Or are we just totally weird and crazy? And it turns out sometimes, but most of the time we're relatively normal. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying definitely is resonating with me. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and we, we have a, a free trial with, with the batch map just for basically the same reason. Like, I mean, you could use it for, you could have a 25 minute free trial and people could be like, yeah, it works. I get it. I see exactly what this does. Okay. But we give them, we give people, you know, if it's a big company, they might take a month to, to kick the tires in the thing. And it's not even, it's not they're looking and it's not like they're trying the actual product for a month. I mean, like I said, they could have done that in 25 minutes, but they, it, they're just going through their process and having access to it and showing this person internally and showing it to this person internally. And so it's more just like a, you know, they have their own internal thing to demo with for a month, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the old, uh, I'm six, eight. So I played a little bit of basketball growing up and the UCLA coach, John Wooden, that won all the championships. One of his you know, famous quotes is be quick, but don't hurry. And it's like, if, if you're quick, then it's intentional. It's practiced. It's fluid. If you hurry, you're probably going to travel with the ball or throw it away or make some mistake and your opponent's going to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same with sales. Like, like you want to be quick. There's no reason to drag our heels. Like, hey, what's the slow sale? I'm going to try to close this after the new year. Why do that to yourself? Um, mm-hmm. But if you're hurrying it, everyone can kind of tell. And the problem with hurrying, I think, uh, is that we all know what that feels like to be hurried as a customer. And, sure. and, you, and the customer mind starts to wander. Uh, rather than focus on what are my needs? What am I trying to solve? As soon as you start feeling hurried, you're thinking like, I'm not sure if I really want to do business with this person. Like I want the product, mm-hmm. but they're starting to bother me as an individual. So I'm gonna, or, or maybe this is sketchy. Maybe they're trying to close super fast because there's a problem with the product. So I should slow down and wait to see if it figures itself out. Um, right, and you right. go down these weird kind of, you go into these dark places where you start to question the question. Why am I being hurried? And it turns out, look, it's just a salesperson trying to close a deal, move to the next deal, hit quota, make some money. Great. Um, but the customer is going to start freaking out and thinking all these bad things about you know, the product and the process that, that you don't want. So it's, it's being quick but not hurrying. I think part of the self, you know, self-consciousness, self-discovery process for us was we sell to so many SMBs that we got used to that cycle. Like you said, Hey, we tried it for a day. We really liked it. We put the credit card in. We bought the software. It works great. Thank you very much. Cool. Uh, versus enterprise was so different that we had to spend some mm-hmm. time pausing and looking at it and saying like, okay, uh, these are by definition going to take longer because they have to spin up project management and go through this process and they've got rules and audits and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we pay attention and take notes, what we started to be able to do was to be quick, which is to say, it's still going to take three to six months. But when we engage, now we're much more likely to say, hey, while you're doing that security review, why don't we also get legal on the phone? We can just mm-hmm. start reviewing the contract. There's no rush because we know we're not going to sign until security is done. But why wait for security to get done to start legal? So it's, yeah. it's the classic instead of working in series, you're working in parallel and you can shrink that duration of the vetting process substantially. I mean, instead of working with the customer to get closed for a year, maybe at six months, huge difference. Um, it's still not going to be a fast process, but it feels quick to us because it was in parallel instead. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's, it's important for sales reps to think about themselves as project managers in that respect, because the more you can get, you know, if you know, these five things have to happen on every deal, these five cycles, you know, the, the legal cycle, the security cycle, the, the, you know, the, uh, the trial cycle, the budgeting process, you know, all, if all these things have, have to happen, getting as many of them running in parallel at, at the same time is, is so important. I remember having a great sales manager early in my career who just like, you know, we'd have our weekly meeting and, and on every deal, he just basically asked the same five questions and it would be like, well, you know, he was kind of just making sure that I was moving the ball forward on all the in all on all the dimensions that a deal would have to move forward on so that it wouldn't get like, you know, trapped and trapped, trapped at the 10 yard line for, you know, two months and then push out into next year. Right. So yeah, it was always, and it was always the same question. Well, have you started the legals with them? Have you, you know, is, is the budget all taken care of? Like is, is, is any, are there any approvals with anyone else that needs to come in? Um, it's a great yeah. reality check because we've mm -hmm. had a lot of those where it's like, I just talked with a customer. They're hot to trot. Like they're wanting to get this out by the end of the month. So honestly, I think, you know, maybe we're at 90% stage. We're about ready to close probably by end of month. And be like, cool. Have you done a security review? Like, no, I mean, it didn't even come up on the call. And it's like, yes, but it, they're in a regulated industry. It's finance or healthcare or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, I guarantee you there's going to be a security review. It's coming. You just didn't ask and they didn't volunteer it, but we need to ask and we need, we need to volunteer it to, so we can advance the deal. Like there's no way it will progress. And so it's kind of a reality check to say, it's not going to close this month. It's going mm -hmm. to close in two to three months and that's okay. It just is. Yeah. Well, and as a salesperson, you're almost like a, a consultant for how people buy, right? Like to your, to the buyer, you're consulting them on how they buy it. You know, your customer you know, as a salesperson, you, you do deals of your nature all the time. Your customer is going to do exactly one of them. And right. so, you know, and, and maybe there, maybe you're dealing with a CIO who makes lots of technology purchases or something, but maybe you're you know dealing with someone who has never bought anything as expensive as the thing that you're selling or as that touches as many parts of the organization as you're selling. And they might not even know how, you know, the, the red flags legal's going to have around, you know, this aspect of security or the, the, the problems that, you know, the security team is going to have or the IT team or, you know, they, but, but you've done a hundred of these deals just like it or a thousand. <laughs> like you, certainly as a company, you've done a, a ton of them. You know what things come up in this industry or in, you know, in these situations or with companies of this size, you know, and so uh, you almost need to sometimes you, you can coach your buyer and be like, Oh, well, is there anyone like, do you know if there's like a process around this? Like, do you have to work on, you know, do you, do you have this, that this challenge that occurs or do, you know, do, do, does someone have to sign off from a legal perspective on this? And they, they may be like, Oh, I should ask about that. And sure enough, like the, the, you know, the, the CIO or the legal team or whoever is going to, going to need to weigh in. And they might, they, they may not even know that. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes this may be a strong way to put it, but sometimes we give the buyer a little too much credit. Like, well, they're inside their company. Surely they know it better than anybody. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're new. Maybe they're new in their department. Maybe they've never done a purchase before. They were saying, hey, go solve this problem. And so they're going out. And so it turns out to your point, 
we know their systems a lot better than they do, even though we're not sure exactly how they work. But we've had some of our best luck going into those sort of deals, especially in like regulated industries and just saying like, great, we're so glad you're interested. We know that before you start a trial, you're going to need to do a full security review. So we're just going to go ahead and send you all of our security documents now. Mm -hmm. And then at the, your next meeting, just raise your hand and say, I've got all this stuff. You know, who should I give it to? Cool. And then we're going to send you a word version of all the legal stuff. And we're going to send you our GDPR certificates, et cetera, because you're going to want those. Trust mm -hmm. us. It's going to come up. And what's nice is then they're taking notes and well, this is great. I didn't know I was going to have to do all this, but now I get to show up in the department meeting and look like I've got my stuff together instead of, right. uh, Hey, so I found this uh, cool piece of software. Can we all just kind of use it now? Can we start mm -hmm. a trial? And the answer is no, you can't. You're not allowed to connect to third party systems because we're regulated in the industry until we do all these things. Right. Um, so it's nice to help them set the table and it's nice to differentiate between that, you know, kind of a guide, like a mm -hmm. Sherpa, like we've been here before, we'll show you versus, uh, you know, uh, like a sheepdog, like we're going to, we're going to herd you into the corner. Right, all right. of us know the difference and it's, it's a feeling and it's hard to, to explain it or even train to it. Sometimes I, I think it requires practice. Be a Sherpa, not a sheepdog. That, that might be the quote of the day here. I don't know. Be a Sherpa, <laughs> not a, sh that, that's, that's deep. <laughs> Is that where we cut the audio? We're like, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm writing that down. That's genius, man. <laughs> we reached the pinnacle. That's all. <laughs> well, I'm done for the day. This is fantastic. <laughs> Time out of the court. Um, but no, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a presentation is everything. It's one thing to just be like, hey, cool. So we've got a checklist. We're going to run through it. Uh, our next meeting is going to be in three days. You know, can I check in with you? Can I call you tomorrow morning? And all of us as the buyer sort of like, please don't, please don't do that. You're, you're trying to make me feel a little nervous. You're taking over my calendar. Right. You're forcing the deal on, on a timeline that doesn't make sense in my company. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you could follow up Monday, but our department meets on Tuesday mornings. So I'll have no new information for you at all. It's a total waste of both of our times versus yeah. the Sherpas sort of like, Hey, after your meeting would be the time that we could check in and knock out, you know, the security review. Uh, knock out the introduction to procurement because I know we're going to have to become a vendor in your system and mm -hmm. that's going to be a hundred question questionnaire um, and so guiding them to that is like oh I didn't even know you had to be a vendor set up in our system I guess I'll go ask somebody about that um, yeah. and that helps advance the deal yeah well that that's uh, that, you know this reminds me of of objection handling too uh, where one of the keys to handling objections is bring it up before they do like, you know what the objections are for your product in your industry. They come up every time. So bring them up first. If you're, you know, a high priced product and you've got a lower priced but crappy competitor, which, you know, almost everyone in every industry does at this point, bring that up and be like, yeah, I mean, if you wanted a cheap one that isn't as good, this is, you could just get it from these guys. It's going to be cheaper and these are going to be the problems you're going to run into. And right. My, and we know my, everything about it and we tested it and here you go. And here's the spec sheet. Here's our battle card that we use and you can read it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and whatever the objection is, if you bring it up beforehand, it, it really, uh, it, it makes it easier. So, well, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's authentic it's transparent. And in some cases, uh, you're show, you're showcasing some vulnerability, right? I mean, if you volunteer like, well, you know, if you're really looking for something over here, mm -hmm. then this other product kind of does that. 
and you've gone out on the limb a little bit. What if the customer then decides that is actually what we're looking for? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you know, you've technically maybe lost the deal, but you were probably going to lose it eventually anyway. And yeah, so it, it saves everybody time. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've helped out and they might come back to you later and say, yeah, we changed our mind. We actually do want more of what you guys do instead. Mm -hmm. You were honest with us and we know exactly what your app does now. If, if you're in software or your product does, if you're in a different line of business. Mm -hmm. And so we'll, we'll, do, we'll do business with you. And we've seen that happen. We used to worry about doing that, honestly. The, the, the rule of thumb was never mention another competitor by name, right? You just don't want to even floating out there. Right? Mm -hmm. like, well, why, why, why do that to yourself? Then they're going to quickly Google it and you're in this rabbit hole if I even do comparisons. Uh, now that we've been in business seven years, we're much freer to do it because we've seen how many times we'll talk with a customer. We don't win the deal or they're not even ready to buy, so they don't buy anything. And then three years later, hello, hey, do you remember we talked like three years ago at that conference? We, we didn't end up doing anything, but we'd like to take a look at, we, I think what you talked about is now what we need. And it's like, oh, great. Right. And then you started that level playing field because everything you told them was true. Mm -hmm. like Mark Twain said, you know, tell the truth. It's easier to remember. Everything you told them about your product is true. Everything you said about the market was true. You were forthright about the competition, what they're good at, what they're not good at. And uh, people will come back a year, two, three years later, which, yeah, that's an even slower sale because that's not even in a sales process. That's just a putting good relationships out in the world. And eventually some, not all, but some end up coming back to you. And tell me a little bit about how does the slow sale impact the decision-making process of your prospect? How do you think that, that affects them? You know, I think it's, it's, it's for us, the, the slowness is kind of embracing the decision-making process that the customer naturally gravitates towards. So it's trying not to force them into a faster decision than they're actually naturally comfortable making. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying like, you'd naturally be comfortable deciding this in two weeks, we're going to try to force you into a 10 day decision or after one week, just because we would like to make the sale faster so we can go sell the next thing. Um, and so we're not trying to slow it down more. Like your natural process is two weeks. Tell you what, we'll give you a month. That way you'll be super comfortable. Not really. Um, that, that, then you get into the territory. I think of that the famous aphorism, like, you know, time kills deals. Like mm -hmm. if you just let it just sit there. Um, they've decided they want to buy, but you're not kind of not ready to close yet. That's just not a good situation. Um, mm -hmm. but it's just embracing that they're, you know, if they're ready to buy immediately, they'll buy immediately. I mean, you'll get the pretty unequivocal indication. Like our first enterprise deal actually was like that. I mean, it was on a Friday and they were like, we have a formal signed quote from a competitor. Uh, we like your product better. However, if you can match this price, we will do the deal with you. If you cannot, we will do the deal with your competitor because mm -hmm. that's what our uh, CIO will sign. And if you will do the deal, we need to roll this out to a thousand users Monday morning. So you also have to be ready to go, right? You'll prep over the weekend and we'll hit it hard. A European customer will hit it hard Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And we said, great, we'll take the deal. Here's the paper, got it signed in an hour. And we were like, well, that was exciting that was a customer ready to buy, right? They'd done all their homework. They came to us only at the very end when they were ready to, to talk pricing. Mm -hmm. um, but many others are far different. They're like, we're at the beginning of a change management process where over the next two years, we're going to transition from legacy systems to the cloud. Mm -hmm. A few of the cloud products we're going to be vetting and potentially choosing, you integrate with those. So you could be very valuable to us. We'll be ready to buy in 18 months, but we'd like to start the relationship now. 
and you're like, wow, that's a really long-term relationship to not know if you're actually going to win the deal. But those have been and still are just the very best situations for us because we become, we do a lot of then free consulting, which makes you feel nervous as a salesperson. Like, man, I'm spending time on site, giving away all my knowledge and secrets. No one's actually getting paid yet, but you become pretty indispensable. Mm-hmm. And, and your app is in conversations over the course of a year and a half to, to the point that it becomes pretty inevitable that as long as you've done your job and the product stands up on its own, you, you're going to get that deal. It's just going to take a while. Yeah. I, I think uh, th- this is going to be our timeliest episode of all time because I, I think this is going to come out like, you know, early December. Um, a, a, you know, it's just before Thanksgiving right now, so we'll edit it and put it out and stuff. But the this concept of the slow sale, I think, is really important, especially for managers to hear um, at this time of year. I, you know, when I was a sales rep, uh, I, I, you know, as the, you know, there's always the pressure to to close the deals by the end of the year, and uh, and you know, you, your outstanding deals, the deals that you have, kind of in the air. It's like every day or when I, you know, a manager coming to my desk and being like, so what happened with this deal? What happened with that deal? What happened with this deal today? And it's like nothing. Remember yesterday <laughs> when we talked and I told you, I talked to him two days ago that he's getting back to me on this lone legal thing after he talks to his, his lawyers. Well, that's, that's the plan. Doing. That's, that's what we're doing still. And like, yeah. <laughs> and he'd be like, well, can you email him again to put some pressure on? And it's like, I could, but remember yesterday when you had me do that? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's only gonna make him mad. But that, yeah. I mean, that, that is a really important one, and it, it was a big learning for me, having not been a sales manager before. It's like I kind of learned this lesson for myself, but then I found that I was asking those exact questions, right? And you get very myopic as far as you know. Here, the salesperson is trying to build a relationship, navigate all these aspects of the deal, and as a manager, it's just like, uh, so how big is it, and when is it going to close? Those are the only two questions you really know, right? A date and how much money, because that's the report I'm going to take and show to the board or show the CEO, whoever it is that you know, you're, you're bundling for. Um, but really, it's far more useful and you build a lot more rapport with the sales team if you have more of that checklist line of questions. Yeah. Like, oh, that sounds like a really promising deal. Uh, remind me, security review, status, started yet, not started? Can I help with that? Uh, what about legal? Are they reviewing our paper yet? Or is it going to be on their paper this time? Cause they're really big. And usually when they're big, they force us to use their paper. What can you do? We're a small company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They sent us theirs. No, they haven't sent us theirs already. Okay, cool. Are you a vendor yet in their system? You need one of our people to do all the paperwork for that because we're going to have to be inside a Reba before they can release money in the future. And that's important to close. So having those types of questions, salesperson's like, wow, this sounds like my manager's actually, they're trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, they want me to close, but they're also helping step through the process of getting there, which what salesperson wouldn't love that. What's not to love. They're helping me get to close. And as soon as I get to close, they're happy. But I'm also as the salesperson, that's when I get paid. That's when commission hits. So it's like, this is great. This is a good conversation versus the, uh, so you think it can close soon? Like end of week? What if we close today? What if we called them over and over again? I was like, yeah, that may not work out so great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, the next section I'd like to do is uh, called sales in 60 seconds. So uh, we're going to ask, you know, we're, we're going to ask a question and try to answer it in like 60 seconds. Okay, cool. Um, so 
I guess, uh, first, what is a common mistake reps make when they start a career in sales? Uh, I think expecting that it's going to move at light speed. Expect like, well, I'm in sales, so it's going to go really fast. I'm going to sell for a little while, and then I'll jump up the chain, maybe a manager, maybe VP of sales, you know, and run the whole show. And it's like, you know, uh, I think almost any sales job, it's going to take a little longer. You got to learn the product, learn the process, and then put in the hard work. And once you do and you do really well, then you, you, that's the great part. You can write your ticket anywhere. Um, but writing your ticket too early or thinking you'll be able to write it super fast, I think is a mistake. I think you want to go in thinking this is potentially a career. I can work mm -hmm. in this for a long time. And so I'm not in a personal hurry uh, to get through this first phase. Yeah, I always feel like, uh, well, I often see, not always, but I often see sales reps that are like, very anxious in their career to get to like the, you know, they want to be in, they want to be in sales management and they want to be in, v, you know, VP of sales. And it's really a very different role. And even someone who's great at sales isn't necessarily going to be a great manager of salespeople. I, I do wish people thought of sales much more as like, you know, a professional career where that is, that is the end. Like you don't see lawyers trying to be managers of other lawyers is like, you know, right out of the gate or a couple of years into their career, or, you know, doctors or any other professional career, really. It's like, well, no, this is the, this is the craft. This is the trade to do, to do this. Like the, this is the thing. And that, that's an important part. I think there's an expectation sometimes where it's just like, well, I mean, you just sell it. You, you just do it's, it's sales. We've been doing it since the beginning of time. Therefore it must just come naturally. And some people get it and some don't. Uh, but they ignore the aspect that you're talking about. And I think it's a perfect word for it. The craft, like there's actually a way uh, to think about doing it in your business, in relation to how your customers buy, et cetera. And that isn't typically something that's just overnight. Um, sure. Some people just naturally gifted at doing it and can probably sell anything. That's awesome. Um, but for most of us, I think it's worth, yeah, pausing embracing some of the slowness and thinking about the craft aspect of it. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a craft that you need to keep honing over time. You know I mean? It's just like, uh, you know, lawyers need to keep updating themselves on the new cases that are coming out. Salespeople need that I believe need to continually educate themselves. And there's so many elements and there's so much humanity to it. There's, there, there's so much to learn and you can always improve and think about it from a, think about different situations with different different uh look at it through different lenses or with you know from different perspectives and you can just keep it's it's amazing you, you know you you talk to someone who's been in sales for you know 35 years and they just they if they've been a student of it the whole time and they're just they're a master at a craft and that's it's always that 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 word the student word i find personally to be fascinating and something that's it's an observation at this point but i would like to see you know sort of an evolution in in the education system if you look at the curriculum for a business across most undergraduate and even MBA programs, uh, it is not unusual for there to be zero classes with the word sales in them. Isn't that the craziest thing? It's even for really, really interesting. Do you know, I, I think I was the only person in my MBA class. I think there's actually one other woman um, uh, who, who went into sales as a, as a career. Everyone wanted to be in finance or consulting or operations. Which can you be surprised? That's the only thing. Those are the only topics that are being taught. So, mm -hmm. so you can learn a lot. There's guaranteed there's going to be a class that has, there's going to be several classes with marketing in the title of the class. 
There's going right. to be several with finance in the title of class, probably mm -hmm. at least one with accounting in the title. Right. There's one about product management. There's going to be like an HR organizational management, you know, mm -hmm. leadership type classes. Uh, so there's all these things that kind of revolve around the product or the service or what it is the company does. And yet for 99.99% of companies out there, you have to have sales for any of those roles to be relevant. Well, and it's, way, it's no a way bigger role too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if, you a, if you have a, you know, thousand person company, 400 people of them are in some type of sales. I mean, in that you're, you're interacting with customers and, you know, with the purpose of having them become customers or continue being customers. And, uh, and how many finance people do you have? How many 10, how many HR people do you have in that thousand person company? 10. They, so we, we trained all these things. There's not that many jobs in. there's not that many career paths. And, um, every company has a ton of people involved in, in, in sales. It's often called different. It can be called 15 different things, but, but like if you're interacting with customers to get them to do business with you or keep doing business with you, it's, it is, it is under the sales umbrella, but yeah, there's no, there's no teaching of it. There's no academic sales. It's a, it's a very strange thing, but I, so I, I think that you need to, there are a ton of resources available today. I mean, so many people are giving, are giving sales so much thought and have created great content. Yep. So you really have to go to, you have to go out and seek it out and find it. I mean, things like this podcast, I and mean, obviously the people listening to this are are looking to learn and develop their sales careers. That's why they're that's why they're listening to it. And there, you know, we, but there's there's so many thought leaders and people who who have great content out there floating around. Um, you know, to, but you you really do have to do it on your own because they're not going to teach you this stuff in school. Yeah, it feels like, and hopefully it is like it's, it's a matter of time before it's like, yeah, all these brilliant salespeople that have studied the methodologies and written the case studies and written books about how to do it, shown people, and they give seminars and there's podcasts like this one, and it's like you you can learn it, uh, you can pick it up, right? Self self taught, it's the internet, it's awesome. Yeah, um, but it would be nice to see that you know trickle into the core curriculum a lot of these places so that there is early exposure and so people say to your point before oh, this is a career path. So I don't necessarily need to be a product manager or an accountant or financial expert mm -hmm. or a marketer. I could be the one that sells the thing. And I think what's interesting is having judged several business plan competitions, uh, frequently the winner is the only one that went out and got quote market traction, which equals they actually talked with somebody and tried to see if they would buy it. And then they mm -hmm. reported back on what they learned. So they so by the way, we have an initial sale. Wait, timeout. So we just heard five pitches, but one of you sold something. <laughs> yeah, you're the winner. You're, I mean, that's, yeah, it's a winner by technical knockout. It's like, well, of course you're winning because you already proved something in the market. Yeah. The rest were just ideas. Right. Um, so yeah, I think hopefully we will see, more and more of that. And, and, and of course what you're doing is actually helping to advance that cause. That's the goal. We're, we're trying to help field salespeople learn more and, and develop. Um, so, uh, well, circling back to the slow sale. So you, you stated that salespeople should learn to trust their products more. Could you explain what that means? I think that was the learning that I had with those three customers where I felt like, you know, these were, brand in sales. Like I was going to win these and then kind of deliver them back to the company. Like, look what I went, I went off in the wild and I killed food and I brought it back. So awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it was more a matter of saying like, look, I've, I've showed them the product. We've gone all the way through reviewing contracts. I need to trust now that they understood the value. I've explained the value, but that they saw it with their own eyes, that they've circled around it and decided to embrace it. And therefore, the product can stand on its own. I don't need to constantly remind them, like, remember the, remember the value. Remember what I told you you were going to get, right? And then, uh, you know, it's almost like, why, why are you wanting me to sign for this? Like, I need to be convinced of it myself. It's once they, it's once they own that. Once they've seen the value and they decide, like, I want that and it's mine now, then that customer will be yours on their timeline. Um, but it was, yeah, it was deciding that I wasn't going to make the sale. The sale was of the product. I was a facilitator. Um, they weren't buying Brandon. They were buying a serious insight. And I was there just to help guide and show them what we had. Mm-hmm. And if I showed them what we had and they were like, oh, wow. And we've had this happen before, by the way, where it's like we do the demo and, and then the customer's like, that's really interesting. I was actually looking for a marketing automation product. You guys, you're not really that. And we're like, Oh yeah, no, that's correct. We're not, you know, we're, we're a sales enablement platform. Like we're, we're, you know, we, we do, there's some crossover between, but it's, there's really different categories. I'll be like, wow, I really appreciate the demo. I'll, I'll show it to the team. I'm not even on the team that would use this, but, but that was interesting. I got my wires crossed. I'm really looking for marketing automation. We'd be like, okay, cool. Well, you know, we use this marketing automation platform. Here's three others that are worth checking out. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, that's just a little uh, example of it wasn't us. I mean, they weren't going to be like, that was the best demo ever. I'm just going to buy it just because it has to be, you have to have the right, you know, product to market fit. And yeah. so it, it's trusting then that the product has done its job. Now, it's also our role, I think, on the sales side to when we get feedback saying, well, I would have bought it if it had this or it was great, except for the thing that went, you know, slightly to the left field during the trial. Mm-hmm. That it's our responsibility to the company and to ourselves because we want to win future sales to feed that back in a very intentional, organized way to the product team so that they hear that feedback. It's that, that firsthand feedback because typically the product team is not connected to the customer or at least not connected to the customer in the way that the salesperson is. Yeah. The salesperson we, is in the weeds. Uh, it's really important to do this. And, and, and most people say they do it, but they don't do that good of a job of it. But we've, we, at Badger, we, we put a whole system in place so CSAs and salespeople can, um, can have, have the ability to, to fill out like a form that populates a document that, uh, that kind of adds everything up for the product team to show them how valuable different things are from the salespeople's perspective. And it's a really powerful tool to help them stack rank you know, well, we're going to do these hundred things, but which ones, which of the next five we're going to do? <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's been, it's been really helpful. Absolutely. Um, well, tell me what, what do you think is not working in sales today and how can it be solved? I mean, I think some of the things, interestingly, that, that may have worked the best, you know, going back to maybe the beginning of our company five, five, 10 years ago that are not working as well now just has to do with volume. I mean, I, I think it used to be the biggest email list wins, right? You had the most emails, you could email those people. That's the top of your funnel. They would funnel down, translate into some sales. Great. But now everyone's emailing those same lists like, mm-hmm. constantly. We know this as customers, right? Because we're receiving all these emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say email doesn't work. It's just the question is, how do you augment it? How do you make it work better? And... Yeah, I think one of the ways is it's, it's like what's old is new again. Um, 
you know, we're finding at least in our business that as much time as we can spend with the customer in person uh, at conferences, volunteering to visit them at their place of work, volunteering to host them at our place of work, uh, user group meetings, any chance to actually, you know, physically shake hands uh, with the customer is time well spent. And then the emails, the phone calls, the, the social connections are in service of leading up to that opportunity to meet in person or creating the opportunity and then following up on we met in person and here's the information you wanted and here's the stuff I promised. And mm -hmm. so the, the focusing event has to do with that, that personal connection uh, because you can have a remote connection with any of 10 companies in a given marketplace. But if you've met one of them, uh, our experience and my sense is that's the company you're going to business with because you, you know them more as a person, mm -hmm. whereas the rest of them are voices on the other side of, you know, the, the Zoom meeting or the phone call or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And here's someone that's like, oh, yeah, that's the person I went out to lunch with. And they really told me everything I needed to know about this category. So, yeah, to your point, I trust them. Um, so that's that's one of those things. I think just relying on. Uh, at least in our industry, just relying on phone calls. It's not going to work as well as it used to. Just relying on massive emails, drip campaigns over and over and over. Mm. Not as well as it used to. Mixing those in the social, mixing those media together with a priority to getting out in person, which, yeah, this is outside sales that we're talking to on the podcast. So it's like that role of being outside, mm. aka with the customer, is, mm. is I think vital and going to grow. So it's one of those, it is what's old is new again. It used to be, well, well, we don't have to build out these big field sales teams anymore because we can do everything inside. And now I think the pendulum is swinging back again where it's like, well, we've got this great inside team. We're going to keep doing that. It's efficient. It scales. And a lot of customers like being able to do remote webinars and go to meetings and so forth. However, huge advantage to being in their city, in their town, in their building at the happy hours that they go to, um, huge advantage to being outside. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, what is your top advice that you would like to give to, uh, to our listeners? Well, I mean, I think the, and you alluded to this before, the great opportunity for all of us in sales is there's an exponentially increasing range of, we'll call it educational opportunities, right? You, you listen to a podcast, you find one thing, two things that you can use, try the next day. Um, you know, an example I'll give, and this was a, an in-person training that I went to, but the, the speaker was saying what they learned as a sales manager, one of the best questions they could ask their sales reps was, hey, can you, hey, hey the next time you talk with that customer, uh, the deal might feel a little stalled or whatever, see if you can get their cell phone number. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, and so we started doing that. And that was my follow-up. Instead of a, hey, when can you close this? How big of a deal is it? Has legal reviewed it yet? I'd be like, hey, do you, do you already have their cell phone number? Next time you talk with them, just see if you can get that. And it's like, why? That doesn't, does that have anything to do with the deal? Let's just see if you can get it. And I'll check back with you at our next standup. And I'd be like, hey, did you get their cell phone number? Oh, that's awesome. Because getting the number proves a lot. Um, if the sale is not really moving forward, then, then the customer is going to be a little reluctant to share it. No, mm -hmm. I'd prefer you not to bother me on my cell phone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if it's like, yeah, cool. You know, I'll volunteer. Hey, if you need anything from my company, my cell phone number, you can reach me 24 hours a day. Can I have yours? That way I'll know if you're calling me and also, you know, I'll shoot you text to follow up. And if they're like, yeah, sounds great. Now, now you just cut past all of the, yeah, well, I've been calling them and leaving voicemails. I don't know if they're getting them. 
right, right. sending them emails. We've sent them 50 follow-up emails over the last three months, but I think they've kind of ghosted me. They've kind of gone cold. If you have their cell phone, you can cut through all that. You're, yeah. They're a text and a phone call away. And so it's a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a defining the relationship type of question. Mm. Hey, can we trade cell phone numbers? Because if we can, things just got a little bit more serious. We can now contact each other anytime. We're building trust. Um, so we started doing that. So it's finding those those little snippets, whether it's in all the great sales books that are out there, the trainings, the webinars, many are free, some are paid, many are very much worth it uh, when they're paid. I wouldn't shy away from just, oh, let's pay resource for a hundred bucks. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Could be a great way to spend a hundred bucks. Lots of the podcasts, I think. Um, those are all valuable. And some of the sales conferences, isn't it? You can spend full time just being a student. The listeners here are practitioners. They're out there selling. So pick and choose, you know, do like, Hey, next year, 2019, I'm going to do five things. I'm going to go to one conference. I'm going to listen reliably to two podcasts. I'm going to read three books to try to get better at my craft. I think that'd be an awesome commitment. Yeah. Well, Hey, the uh, end of the year is coming up time for some new year's resolutions, right? That's true. It's about that time. <laughs> well, um, well, the next, uh, next thing I'd like to, summarize what we've covered today because a lot of people are driving while they're listening to this. These guys are out in the field and in general, the, you know, our, our, uh, our listeners. So um, to summarize what we've talked about today, the slow sale started when branded slowed down and started to think about the customer's decision process and each customer's sales cycle. Initially you move fast, you're responsive, but then you do have to be patient and get comfortable with the quiet period. It could be around a 10 day period and, and then the deal closes after. It really depends on, on your industry. But uh, you know, if, if, if someone's outside of the normal waiting period, you get busy again, but with slowing down a bit and documenting each step you make in the sales process, it can be really beneficial to understanding how your customers buy. Um, you can write down each step of the sales process and see how your buyers react along the way. It's a great exercise. Um, think about being quick, but not hurrying your customers. So you want to be quick, but don't hurry. Um, your customer wants to wants you to engage with them, but they don't want to feel rushed and uncomfortable. If they start to feel hurried, they might question the deal and be less likely to move forward. Volunteer to help your customer if they need help moving the deal within their company, and this can help move things along. Think about being a Sherpa, but not a sheepdog. I just, I, I love that. That's the one. That's, I, the, I that's, that's that. where we, ha we almost have to leave it with that, right? I mean, that, that, that may be the smoothest thing we've ever come up with. I, I it's, just, it's alliterative, so at least it has that going for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's alliterative, and I can I can imagine it. Well, anyway, be a Sherpa, not a sheepdog. Don't push Don't push your customers to do things before they're ready. Don't force customers into a shorter decision process than they're used to making, but instead help them along the way, but don't push them. And don't be afraid to be a part of deals that will take a long time. At, at big companies, deals can take months or years. But as long as you keep communication open, you're setting up the deal for success. So you can have a really long, um, slow period or quiet period in certain cases. If you're a sales manager, it's good to learn that some of these deals will take longer and you can help your reps through the steps to close 
and, and know that they're building solid rapport to close these big deals. But ultimately, uh, a rep has to trust their product after you've gone through the initial sales processes and your potential customer is now in the quiet period, trust that if you are really the solution they're looking for, then they'll see the fit and the deal get made. The greatest opportunity Brandon believes is the for, for salespeople today is the exponentially increasing range of educational opportunities that exist for salespeople. Uh, one, great, one great test that Brandon has learned is seeing if you can get a customer's number, like cell phone number, and this, this can prove if you can move a sale forward. You can really cut past a lot in the sales cycle, and it's a, and it's a great way to see where you're at with somebody. Um, but there's such a noisy world right now with everyone stacking up, you know, hundreds of emails a day and, you know, phones blowing up all the time. Um, but text messages can, can cut through, but they're only going to give it to you if you've earned it. Um, and he gave a final tip to read more books and listen to podcasts to continuously learn more and, and set up your, set up a goal for yourself for the year. Well, this has been Absolutely fantastic, Brandon. Um, where can listeners read more about your work and, and what's the best way for them to reach you? I mean, this is an outside sales group. So if anyone's making their way through Knoxville, Tennessee, which is right at the intersection of I-40 and I-75, <laughs> and stop by on any given Friday and you can, you can join us for a company lunch. Uh, we're at Cirrus Insight. So my email is brandon at cirrusinsight.com. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Um, give me a shout anytime if I can be helpful. And um, yeah, hopefully everyone has a great Thanksgiving and then comes back to finish uh, November strong. Fantastic. Well, um, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you have any feedback or any suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at uh, feedback at outsidesalestalk.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to it and leave it a review. It really helps us uh, spread the word and get more outside salespeople like you to find out about this. Take care until next week, everybody. 